those same elements that are present at a sweat lodge ceremony are present when I go out and ski. The intention is like to to sweat and to breathe and to purify yourselves. And I think that's part of what led me to seeing skiing as a ceremony and a dance of its own for me. And when I'm there, I show up with an intention and I breathe and I sweat. And so that's for me what helped me to kind of understand like what it is really that I'm doing as a skier and give me a, a whole different kind of context for approaching something that to a lot of people might just be a sport, but to me is part of a way of life. Connor Ryan is a professional skier in proud Hunkpapa, Lakota. As an athlete who spends his days in the mountains, Connor is always exploring how he can weave together his indigenous culture and his love of winter sports. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Connor Ryan, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Hi, I'm a Takiyape. What does that mean? <laughs> That's uh, greetings relatives in Lakota. You have a lot of really beautiful sayings in Lakota. You're Lakota. Yeah. Hunkpapa Lakota, is that how I say it? Yeah, Hunkpapa. You have this other saying that I really love that you start a lot of things with, Hokahe. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a, a, a mantra of mine and, you know, it's really central to, to our cultural story as Lakota people. What does it mean? Hokahe is kind of, so there's like a literal translation and then there's like how it actually applies. So the most like literal translation of Hokahe means like today is a good day to die. But I think in like a in a colonized like western kind of mindset that can seem a little morbid. It's it's a battle cry for us. And so I'd say like for me the way it kind of most closely applies as a skier um would be like saying send it. But the reason why that I I like like the original translation and why I think it's so applicable is like as a battle cry in Lakota, it really means like you're so centered within your purpose that should you die in the actions that bring you into alignment with your purpose, that would be okay. Because to, to live life to its fullest extent is the purpose of being here. Hokahe. All right, let's get started or send it, as Connor says. Connor grew up at the base of the Rocky Mountains on the homeland of Arapaho, Cheyenne, and the Ute tribes. As his mom says, skiing was always Connor's North Star. When life got tough, Connor turned to the slopes and fresh powder to find himself again. Even though he loved to ski, Connor didn't own his first pair of skis until he was 21 years old. Now at 28, he's one of the few native professional skiers. To highlight the relationship between skiing and his indigenous heritage, Connor recently made a film with Natives Outdoors, an REI co-op studios called Spirit of the Peaks. The film is all about the balance between Connor's athletic passion and his cultural obligation. Connor hasn't always been so in touch with his native roots, but as a kid, he felt at home when he was up in the mountains. How did you find skiing? Well, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. And so, and my mom's Lakota and my dad, they were 
never married or together really, but my dad's Irish and from Ohio and a skier. And so it was kind of like those, those two worlds, uh, colliding for me. And, you know, like my, my mom didn't have a strong, uh, cultural connection growing up. Her father wasn't around. He was taken from the, the reservation to the boarding schools as a kid. And so he didn't have a strong cultural connection to pass on to her. And so for me, the, the closest thing I had to a connection to my culture growing up was just spending time on the land. And here where I live in, in Boulder, Colorado, we're like just on the edge of Ocheti Shakoan, the nation that the Lakota people, you know, belong to. We're right on the edge of our traditional homelands here. And so for me, um, the most indigenous thing I knew how to do was just spend time outside. Um, and skiing was my favorite way to do that and kind of the, the, the way that I couldn't stay away from if that makes sense. Like if it snowed, I would skip work. I would skip school. I would do anything I could to, to be out there, uh, on the mountain. And that ended up being, you know, a major determining factor in, in who I've become. How did you break the barrier of, of entry? Because skiing isn't, isn't the most accessible sport for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I had to work really hard and save, um, for basically a whole year to get my first set of skis and ski pass and things like that. And, um, for me, I was like 21 at the time. And, you know, I had one of my first like real good jobs and kind of felt a little bit adult and independent in that way. And so choosing to overcome that financial barrier of, of skiing for me kind of felt like an assertion of independence. And it felt like an assertion, like into a space that I didn't necessarily feel welcome in. And for me at that age and that time, like I, I got a lot of joy from that. It felt almost like a rebellious act to me as an indigenous person to go ski because it's like, ooh, like this space isn't for me, but I've worked hard enough now that you can't stop me from being here. And that was something that, that I drew like a lot of inspiration from and is part of what motivated me to get better at skiing quicker too was that like you know I didn't have anyone to coach me or really tell me what to do I kind of did it all by feel and I would just look down the hill at someone who had you know <laughs> probably a lot more privilege and, and better gear and all these things that that I didn't have at the time and I just try to be faster than them and just try to beat them down the hill and kind of applying that over and over um, until I got better is something that, that really like pulled me into the sport in that way. And then as I kind of fell in love with it in that like rebellious need to get into it at first, then I got hooked uh, on skiing powder. And it was just one of those things where like, if it snowed, I had to be at the mountain. I couldn't, I couldn't say no to that. And that was something that was really helpful for me in kind of like, I guess there's a part of me as an indigenous person that always feels separated from the land by, by history and colonization and all these things that, that stand between us and what our way of life once was. And so it was so nice for me to have something that just gave me a reason to be on the land no matter what, to be outside no matter what. And, and so skiing was that for me, like it was just this this magnetic pull to be on the land that I couldn't resist. 
Skiing was Connor's rebellion and his remedy during tough times. In his teen years, Connor struggled with drugs and alcohol, but skiing gave him a place to redirect that energy and he poured himself into it. Spending all that time outside also got Connor thinking about his heritage and connecting with his Lakota roots. But it wasn't until an eye-opening trip to South Dakota that Connor started learning more about the Lakota people and traditions. Tell me about how you related your love of skiing to your native culture. How did you connect the two? Yeah, so I think for me, like, it started with, you know, like, my whole life growing up, um, I had an awareness of, like, knowing we're Lakota, knowing, you know, my family comes from the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, and not really knowing what to do with that. And a lot of that is just, like, living in Boulder, Colorado, and the fact that, like, indigenous people have been removed from here, like, systematically by the governance of this state of Colorado long before, you know, any of us lived here before it was called (laughs) Colorado. Um, But there were no other indigenous kids in my class. There were no peers for me to look up to. And, you know, I was raised for the most part just by my mom. And so she was the only indigenous role model I had. And she taught me a lot about, you know, her strength and perseverance in that way and, and the resilience of indigenous people in that way. But she didn't have the ability to teach me about language and culture and things like that. And so when I was 21, about the same time that I bought my first pair of skis and my first ski pass as an adult, I went to the Black Hills. And when I was... What's the Black Hills? The Black Hills are the, you know, most sacred traditional place for Lakota people in what's now South Dakota. It's a small mountain range there. And so I went there to, to go to a concert. And when I was there, I met a group of activists from Boulder and they essentially (laughs) obligated me uh, upon introduction into coming to Sweat Lodge with them and to getting introduced into into my own cultural ways which was pretty cool that you know like I traveled to the most sacred place on our homelands to to try to connect with some part of my culture and it turned out that like right here in my own backyard who really brought me in and accepted me and said like okay it's okay that you don't know your own culture yet we understand the history that created that boarding schools and those things and show up we're going to teach you the songs we're going to teach you the language we're going to teach you the ceremony and that place where I first went to sweat lodge was maybe five minutes ten minutes down the road from Eldora the ski area and so for me uh, those things became really connected in that way really quickly because it was in sweat lodge that I learned these things like my connection to to the water and you know the fact that it's the most basic and necessary element of life and when I was gathering water for those ceremonies to learn that about water I would fill up the bucket at the creek and if I looked up the creek it led right to Eldora where I was skiing. And so for me, like those lessons became really obvious really quickly. And I felt bonded in a deep way to, to the landscape. How beautiful to be able to connect your heritage with something that you love to do. For those people who don't know what Sweat Lodge is, can you just tell me a little bit about what Sweat Lodge is and what you do in one? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, a Sweat Lodge is, for us, as we call it, it's like a Anipi, a Anikagapi ceremony. And it 
is essentially like a, a purification and uh, the literal translation is like making of a new breath. And so it's kind of just like you take those simplest elements of life, fire and water and and things like that, and you, you spend your time and you kind of learn from from them. And I think that's why there's such a such a resurgence uh, of these these cultural traditions around the world and especially a, a newfound in a lot of ways value for indigenous traditional ecological knowledge that comes from these ceremonies is because like when you're there it, it's it's a reminder that like we are water and air and the food that we eat and those things at the most simplest level and no matter who you are as a person like that's a that's an inescapable thing and so that's what our what our cultures are centered around and our priorities are centered around as people and i think people want to want to get back to that and sometimes it's nice to just remind yourself that like you're a human being and every molecule of of your body was once a part of mother earth right and that's like a beautiful thing to feel spiritually but it's also like a scientific fact from from biology and chemistry that we can embrace and and apply to how we view ourselves and our actions within our ecosystem and so yeah it's a really a really grounding thing and just you know an opportunity to sweat and sing songs and breathe together and you know make those connections with with our community not just as people but all of the other related organisms that make make life possible so is a sweat lodge like a natural sauna? Um, yeah, that's kind of like a way you could you could put it. It's like a sauna or, you know, like a steam kind of thing. And What does it look like? Is it a cabin? Well, you build it. You know, you build it out of like willows. And so it's like a, a simple little dome, you know. It's a real humble ceremony. It's a simple dome uh, made out of willows. You cover it and it holds the steam in that you comes off the, the rocks you've heated in the fire and there's something about uh the fact that it's made out of such simple elements you know that and that you built it together as a community um that that's definitely like a, a unifying factor of it and i think like you know in the simplest way like the 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 intention is like to to sweat and to breathe and to purify yourselves in those ways and, and i think that's part of what led me to seeing skiing as a uh, as a ceremony and a dance of its own for me and a prayer in those ways is because those same elements that are that are present at, at a sweat lodge ceremony are present when I go out and ski and when I'm there I when I go to ski I, I show up with an intention and I breathe and I sweat and so it, it that's for me what helped me to kind of understand like what it is really that I'm doing as a skier and give me a, a whole different kind of context for approaching something that to a lot of people might just be a sport, but to me is part of a way of life. Okay, so you have this strong native culture and heritage that you kind of only found pretty recently, and then you have skiing. And at times these worlds have felt really polar. Talk to me about this and then how you found a bridge that really has become this beautiful bridge between these two worlds and given you the career that you have today. So I think for me, 
the polarity kind of between being indigenous and, and being a skier is kind of rooted in this one particular moment I can remember, which is like uh, when I would go to Sweat Lodge, it was right there by Eldora, but nobody that I went to Sweat Lodge with skied. And nobody that I skied with, you know, was indigenous or did these kind of cultural ceremonies. And so it felt like this this definite division in myself. And, and I remember specifically this day talking to one of my uncles at Sweat Lodge and he showed up in a jacket, a ski patrol jacket. And I was like, whoa, wait, do you ski? Like, hold on, how have we never talked about this? And he had the jacket because at the end of the day, when they were switching over to new jackets for the resort staff, they donated the other ones charitably. And through one of the charitable organizations that my uncle worked with, he ended up with one of these coats. And I was like, man, like that shouldn't be the way that that indigenous people have our experience of, of the mountains. Like that division there has to be crossed in some way. Um, and so it was definitely something that I wrestled with a lot. And, and it was really those moments of first stepping into the backcountry, I think for me, that like really helped kind of absolve some of that barrier that like existed inside my own mind when I had to really start like reincorporating my personal ability to listen to the place that I was skiing in because to to, to ski in the backcountry like you have to have this understanding of avalanche conditions and slope angle and the directions of every aspect that you're facing and the wind directions and all those things and for me one of the most central things that I'd learned in my culture was about the four directions. And so I knew songs to converse as an individual with the winds and the directions that are out there. And so it became a thing for me to go out on a ski tour and sing songs to the four directions. I'd start in, in the West as in our traditional Lakota way. And I just say like to, to the West direction, I'm sending my voice. And for me, it's like about making sure that like, as I'm experiencing a place, I'm understanding of the fact that the place is experiencing me as well. So I'm taking that time to introduce myself in every direction and, and just ask, you know, that like, I don't know, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't go into a space full of people, right? And take some big action uh, without introducing yourself. And so it's kind of just like having that same respect for our, our non-human relatives. That really became one of those moments where I was like, this is all the same thing. And like this need to know 
essentially ecological and navigational knowledge and hold it sacred in our cultures as indigenous people, it, it really helped me redefine in that moment, like what sacred means. Um, and it is not that just something that's sacred is like this ununderstandable, mysterious, powerful force. It's that things that are sacred are like vital to life and to living and knowing the directions is something that's sacred because it is something that will keep you alive when you live on the land. Knowing the direction that I was facing, the aspect of the slope that I was on and where the winds were coming from was information that was going to keep me alive while navigating in avalanche terrain. And that was kind of just this transcendent switch for me of seeing everything in my culture a little bit more that way and understanding like, okay, wait, like water isn't sacred because of some woo-woo, mysterious, spiritual thing. Water is sacred because I'm mostly water as a human being. And every other living being that I'm going to interact with also is mostly water. And the origin of most all the water that's keeping every organism and every in, like ecosystem that I interact with alive is the snowpack. And all of a sudden, this, this whole thing kind of just unraveled for me where I was like, oh, wait, like everything I'm doing as a skier suddenly feels really indigenous. Before that trip to the Black Hills, Connor was a skier and he was Lakota. But as he learned more about his native roots, the songs, the ceremonies, the values, he realized that the two identities were intertwined and informed each other. Being a skier brought him closer to his indigenous culture, and being Lakota gave Connor an even deeper connection to skiing mountains. When we come back, Connor talks about his movie, Spirit of the Peaks, what it's about, behind-the-scenes stories, and what he hopes audiences will take away. As Connor became a pro skier, he would often post pictures from his trips in the mountains. Each post would include a land acknowledgement, sharing what native territory he was skiing on, but at a certain point that just didn't feel like enough. As a Hungpapa Lakota, Connor was aware that he was often skiing on Ute land. He wanted to talk to Ute people and even get them out on the slopes with him. This pursuit led to a film called Spirit of the Peaks, which came out in December of 2021. The film explores the reciprocity between the Ute people and the landscape, and it features talented guests like pro skier Cody Townsend and Ute musician Bird Red. So REI Co-op Studio just released Spirit of the Peaks. What is this film about? Essentially, Spirit of the Peaks is kind of my journey as a Lakota who skis on Ute land, how to take my values as an indigenous person and apply them from learning from another tribe and their land and all the amazing, you know, relations that are that are out there to inform me. And so, yeah, it's kind of been like my, my process of feeling those big peaks looming over me um, on Ute territory. And so... I took the time to get connected with them and, you know, really figure out how to 
how to apply what what they know and what they feel to my experience as a skier and hopefully let that you know inform my my environmental perspective uh, of the landscapes that inspire me how did the film come together what was it like making it any any stories that you can share from just the making of the film yeah you know is a really it was kind of this interesting layer of like double informative experience, if that makes sense. Um, in that, like, we set out to kind of tell a story in particular, right? And you you have these these themes that you think you are going to try to present to an audience, and in a way, you know, one of the biggest characters in our cast is the mountains themselves. And there's no way to like interview the mountains about how they feel about climate change. There's no way to interview the mountains about how they feel about how you should approach them. And so instead, like they, they kind of spoke to us through their actions and through our experience there. You know, we, we set out to film all this amazing skiing at the same time as, you know, these scenes skiing with you folks and talking to you folks and environmentalists and whatever, but, you know, we had experiences like the the days that we have set aside to film with, with Cody Townsend in the backcountry are these days where we end up having an all-black avalanche danger rose. And we have <laughs> extreme avalanche danger on every aspect and every elevation. And so then it's Cody Townsend and I, like, out there literally like, okay, how do we approach a day like this? And it's... The mountains, if we don't listen to them today, can charge us the ultimate cost of admission. And, you know, then we, we set aside a whole other month later on to try to shoot big mountain stuff, uh, you know, skiing these these huge mountains in the, in the San Juans of Colorado. And we thought, okay, like typically the month of April is uh, when you'd want to do that kind of thing. That's when the, the snowpack solidifies and hopefully you're still getting some pretty good precipitation throughout the month and you know we like showed up to to film in april and for the first two weeks of the month there's a crazy high pressure system and it was you know 60 degrees in in town in the mountains below the places where we're supposed to be skiing and we're like okay well this film is you know like in some ways, you know, about learning how to better show up for, for landscapes as they're they're in the face of climate change. And here we are literally like, are we even going to be able to make a ski film? What does it look like if we're going to have to film this, this whole ski film without ever skiing on powder? And so it, it really like, you know, forced us into this, this position of having to like sit back and, and learn to listen and be like, okay, well, this, this whole film's about like learning to, to be in reciprocity and uh, appreciate these places in a different way. So we, we started skiing while the conditions were bad and found a way to still appreciate it. And somehow we were like, okay, we're, we're out here and this is still beautiful and we're getting so much from this, you know, and singing the songs and still being in, in, in appreciation of the mountains. And just suddenly the last two weeks of the month, like the weather just changed. And it seemed like just like every other day we'd get like three, five, six inches of snow, like whatever we needed. And so we'd 
wake up at three in the morning and try to be on top of the mountains by by dawn so that like those snow wouldn't get too hot throughout the course of the day so we'd be skiing all these mountains super early in the morning and suddenly we were just like doing the best skiing of our lives and getting it on camera and it was just an absolutely like beautiful experience and it just really reinformed us about this this feeling of like okay like you have to be patient with these places. You have to listen to these places. You have to take what they're going to give you, um, and 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 learn to kind of embrace that, like they are their own personality. And so, yeah, it, it was kind of a wild ride where it's like, you know, you've set out to make your first ski film, and you think, oh, we're just gonna show up and ski powder every day and get it on camera. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be easy. We've got funding. We've got all the right people. And really, like, there's one more final character, and that's that's the peaks themselves, and they have much more power to tell the story than than any of the rest of us. So we we had to learn and be reminded of what we know about respecting them and listening to them. Any any highlights that you wanted to share? Just like your favorite part of filming the movie? Any funny moments? Any outtakes that we might have missed? Yeah. Um... It was a blast to make the whole film. You know, for me, like, obviously, a, a lot of the highlights a, as a skier are, like, particular lines and particular moments. And, you know, getting to ski deep powder with Cody Townsend in the backcountry is, I think, something that, like, every skier can pretty much appreciate, like, how cool and unique and awesome of a opportunity that is. But for me, really, like, my favorite, favorite part of the movie is the part with bird um and bird red is a kid from uh the southern ute reservation and he's extremely talented musician he's you know makes hip-hop music but he also sings traditional ute songs at, at ceremony and stuff like that and we gotta take him skiing and he's just like a hoot like he's just so funny as a as a person and that really shines through in the movie and you know he went at the beginning of the day from like never having stepped into skis to like fully cruising down blues by the end of the day and that that experience for me just gave me like so much hope and and confidence in in the kind of work that we're doing and I just love the way that like his personality shines through in the movie and you know I I hope that like seeing that kind of experience will show other people like what the value is at, at the most simple human level uh, of bringing indigenous people into these spaces. What do you hope people will take from this movie? Yeah, I'd say like my biggest goal is I want everybody, whether they're an indigenous person who, you know, already comes from mountains and places like this, or they're a skier who's moved to a, a beautiful place that inspires them recently. I, w- I want them to see themselves as related to the place and, and see that from a scientific perspective of like, okay, like my 
water, my life, my purpose streams from these mountains. But at the same time, these places that, that like give us these, these experiences, they expect something of us. You know what I mean? And there's, there's something more of what we can do to, to show up for them. And I think like we've been kind of like falsely led into this way of seeing the, the, our relationships with the mountains is like transactional or like they're, they're places we need to conquer their peaks we need to bag and that there's like some sense of us overcoming them and in reality like there's there's nothing really to overcome out there it's much more of a of a learning to do do this dance you know with them and you can't like do a dance without the participation of your partner and so I think that's that's a huge part of it and I I want people to feel the way in which their relationship with with a place obligates them to greater action um, because that's something to me as an indigenous person that I think feels obvious but it's clearly something like that's gotten forgotten in, in a lot of these places and it's really easy to just like go out have your experience ski your powder come home you know and close the book on that and, and I just don't think that's going to be enough if we want skiing to exist for future generations and um i think a big part of like caring for the land is is people learning to respect and show up for indigenous people and that to me is because like the way we get to appreciate the land is because of the actions of indigenous people like these places aren't nature doesn't happen by accident right nature is the participation of a bunch of organisms within an ecosystem right like the nature you love wouldn't be the same maybe without aspen trees or ponderosa pines or blue spruces right it wouldn't be the same without without a bighorn sheep or you know an eagle flying by well similarly a species that belongs in these places is human beings And our actions are a big part of what has shaped these ecosystems to be the way they are for better and for much, much worse. And and that's really easy to see in the mountains of Colorado where there's this legacy of extractive and damaging action by by mining and extractive industry. Right. And on the other side, there's there's the Ute people who have a history of knowing how to care for these places, who invented concepts like leave no trace, you know, long before there were words for that, who who knew how to use fire and game management to, to take care of a place and steward a place. And, and so I think like we have to bring them back in as people who are recreating in these places and, and make sure that their voices are heard and are, are central to the solutions for us all moving forward as we continue to steward them on, on like the small level uh, of like these immediate ecosystems. And, and then we need to make sure that when it comes to the, the global level of how we handle the systemic change that needs to happen to address climate change, we need to integrate indigenous values into how we see that. You can't do a dance without the participation of your partner. I love that. I watched Spirit of the Peaks and it opened my eyes. In the movie, there's a snowboarder 
Teal Leto, who goes out in the backcountry with Connor, she said something that really hit home for me. She talked about how the wax on her snowboard gets on the snow and that the snow melts into the river and the water from that river ends up in someone's cup. It's easy to forget that when we're out adventuring, that everything we do, everything we take with us has an impact. Connor's takeaways from the movie are also good lessons for life. You have to show up, you have to be patient, and you have to give in order to receive. This movie isn't the only way Connor is bridging the gap between indigenous culture and the outdoor industry. He also works with Natives Outdoors, a native-owned athletic and creative collective. What is Natives Outdoors and how did you get involved with it? Yeah, so Natives Outdoors is uh, started kind of as like a social media community and grew to become an indigenous owned and operated outdoor media and apparel company. So yeah, we, we make films, we, we tell stories, we put indigenous art uh, onto outdoor gear and I got involved with it. A handful of years ago, they made a post and it said calling all native senders and defenders. And I'd spent a good chunk of time in the previous years working on some environmental activism campaigns. And the other thing that I was most passionate about in life was getting out on skis and sending it. And so it seemed like kind of this perfect fit for me. And I I didn't know how to get involved with an outdoor brand at the time. And so I just like... I sent them what must have been the world's longest email um, and put like my my whole life story in this ridiculous email um, about every possible way I could see myself contributing to the work that they do. And it must have took them like... And they were like, you're hired because it was probably amazing. Yeah, it must have took them a month to read it because it, it did take them a, a little bit to get back to me. And they're like, wow, yeah, it seems like you're really passionate about this. Um, let's go skiing sometime and talk more about it. And so, yeah, I went skiing with uh, Len Nassifer, who's the CEO and founder of Natives Outdoors and also been a great friend and mentor to me. And yeah, we went up for a day at Winter Park and it was just like a perfect fit. And that day we realized it was the first time either of us had gone backcountry skiing with another native person. And so we were like, we got to figure out how to do more of this, get more native folks out on out on skis. And so that's kind of what we've been up to since. With Natives Outdoors, you started the scholarship to get more indigenous people on skis. So how did you do that? You know, it's one of these things, it's, it's kind of funny, like the origin story of it. I reached out to the folks at, at Icon Pass probably a little too late in the fall last year and just kind of had this like inspiration moment of like, there's got to be some way to work with these ski resorts. Like they're all on native land. It, it was just kind of like a confusing moment for me. And I just sent them an email and it must have been like 4.15 on a Friday and they replied in like 10 minutes and they were like, yeah, absolutely. You're right. We we do need to work more with native communities and all the Icon Pass resorts are on native land and we're not really equipped. We don't know how to deal with this or talk about this at the moment. Like, let's, let's work together. And so last year we made a short film together, kind of built some relationships. And I was like, okay, ultimately what I want to do is like figure out how we can 
get more native folks out on the mountain as soon as possible. So yeah, we started this this scholarship program to give away some icon passes and I got my sponsors and partners involved so that, you know, everybody who received the scholarship also gets outerwear and helmets and goggles and skis and boots and bindings and everything they would need to to you know, not just get started but also like really feel like they belong out there on the mountain and be equipped to to have a great time experiencing skiing. Connor's work has come full circle. He didn't connect with his Lakota roots until adulthood, but he's making up for lost time. Bridging the gap between his indigenous heritage and the world of winter sports is central to his identity. Now he's helping others do the same. Be sure to watch his film, Spirit of the Peaks, which is available on REI's YouTube channel. We'll link to it in the show notes. Connor, thank you so much for coming on the show. Your honesty and insights about connecting to your native culture and your passion for skiing really made an impact on me. I'm really excited for everyone to go see Spirit of the Peaks and learn more about the work that Connor and Natives Outdoors are doing. You can follow Connor's adventures on Instagram at Sacred Stoke, which is such a cool Instagram handle. That's S-A-C-R-E-D-S-T-O-K-E at Sacred Stoke. You can also learn more about Natives Outdoors and the Icon Pass Scholarship on their website, natives-outdoors.com or on Instagram at Natives Outdoors. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas of Puddle Creative, and produced by Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we appreciate when you follow this show, rate it, and review it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. <laughs>